We're going to, uh, if you just give me a few minutes, we were planning on getting out there about 1130, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Give me a few minutes here. I'm going to share some things from, I'm going to share the scripture and just share some thoughts. I, won't, I really won't be long and we're going to go outside and celebrate this wonderful day. It's been a long time coming. It's something that I believe the Lord wanted to do a long, long time ago. Just like Israel came out of Egypt and the Lord had a plan. But I've discovered in my life, the Lord doesn't always get his way. The Lord has to have people that are willing and obedient. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. God looks to and fro throughout the earth to find someone to show himself strong through. And I believe the Lord wanted to do this a long, long time ago. But I believe today in this congregation, we have a people willing and obedient to do what the Lord wants us to do. As our brother Scott has referenced today, literally not just thousands, tens of thousands of cars pass this property. The Lord has positioned us to reach out to a broken world. You know our world is so broken today. The churches have been shut down around our nation and some churches are still not having church and I don't understand that completely and I know that not, of all, not all of our church here today, I thought about some today that are at home and I really wish they could be here today, but I understand part of that. But we are positioned here to reach out to our community, to build this church, and the Lord is going to give us miracles, Brother Johnson. I'm so glad you mentioned that because we've already seen some miracles and some wonderful things that are happening. And this church is not going to be built by human cleverness. It's not going to be built by so-called spiritual superstars because there's no such thing as that. We're going to trust God. We're going to trust him. We're going to pray. We're going to seek with his grace to live the kind of lives that he desires for us to live. And we are going to reach out to our community. There are wonderful days ahead. And that's not a cliche. I believe that the Lord has brought us to this moment. Some battles are very hard and some battles are very long. Um, the Bible said, hope delayed makes the heart sick. But the old King James says, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. But you realize in the margin of that, it says, but a desire coming is a tree of life. You know, sometimes we as, as individual Christians and congregations, we're, we're, wanting, we're wanting something, but it just seems like it's a carrot on a stick and it's never going to get here. But I want you to know today is the beginning of that desire fulfilled because what we have longed for, what we have prayed for, what we have struggled for, we're about to enter into that. And I commend you for your faithfulness. Before I read scripture, I'll share one more thing. You know, a couple of years ago, we went through a battle in our congregation. And I think over the last two years, and I say this with no malice, but I say this with spiritual sobriety. The Lord has cleansed our church. He's cleansed our church of a lot of sin and things that were in our congregation. God will not tolerate sin. Not in me, not in you, not in anyone. God has a hatred towards sin. And sin hinders a congregation. Sin will destroy a family. It will destroy an individual. It will certainly destroy. It will gut a church when sin comes in. And I think God has sanctified at some level our church. And God has here who he wants here to move us to the next level. What, what God does is he prunes his church 
that it may bear more fruit. And I think we're about to enter into that more fruit time. So for just a moment, I want you to stand with me as we read the word of God. I'll make a few thoughts on this. Call it a sermon, call it what you will, but this is be on the screen. The very words of Jesus contained within this. And when Jesus came to the reason of Caesarea, we say Caesarea, but it's really, it's Caesar. Caesarea is what it actually is. But we're Southerners, so God will forgive us. Caesarea, Philippi. And he asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say that, say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Literally, whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. And then it says, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Has already been loosed in heaven, basically. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Father, bless these few words. Help your servant. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated just for a moment. Here Jesus is, and he's at Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is not the Caesarea on the Mediterranean Sea. This place, Caesarea Philippi, is about 25 miles or so north of Capernaum. We stood there not too long ago. We stood there in those ruins of this very place where Jesus spoke these words and Peter gave the great confession of which the church is built upon. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what you may not know, that in this place, Caesarea Philippi, in Old Testament times, it was a place where they worshiped Baal, the fortune god. The, you know, when, when things were to go bad, they would, they would think, oh, well, Baal's mad. And so they would do something for Baal, you know, to try to get good fortune, rain on their crops, etc. During the Grecian times, they, they dedicated as to the god Pan, and they worshiped Pan. You've seen him, half man, half goat. And it's here in this very place, in the face of false worship, in the face of idolatry, that Jesus makes the great confession and makes the great declaration, that is. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He was saying, I will have a people who will worship in spirit and truth. I will have my church. I will have my people. I will build my church. A couple things I want to say, and then we'll go to our wonderful ceremony. I thought about this as I read that, and I've read this, and I preached over this, and you've read it, and we've talked about it, and we should talk about it. 
Because all that God is doing in the world today is through the church. The church is his plan. The church is not like an extra plan or like a plan B. The church is the plan. That's why it's so tragic that all these churches are cut down or are shut down. What I, what I looked at this and I thought about this, the certainty of this message. So much is uncertain right now. So much, so many people feel so off balance about their jobs and about society and there's so much unrest and there's so much, so many things going on. But yet we as the church of Jesus Christ, we stand on a solid foundation. The only thing that is going to last is the church of Jesus Christ. And I read this this week. And I really didn't know where I was going to go in the sermon. I don't, I don't have canned sermons. I don't have 40 sermons, you know, lined up. I let, I let the Lord speak to me week after week. Yeah, we may be in a few weeks of sermon, and I did preach 35 sermons through the whole book of Corinthians on Wednesday night, so it takes a little planning there. But I want to hear what God has to say to the church. And I felt this come to me alive, afresh again, by the Spirit of God. We talked about the belt of truth last week, but you know, there's the sword of the Spirit, which is in the belt. And what is the sword of the Spirit? It's a word out of the word. It's a special word for a moment. It's not all the word, but it's a word for a moment out of the word. And I think what the Lord is saying to us, I'm going to build my church and it's certain that if we will obey him and love each other and be in unity, the Lord's going to do wonderful and marvelous things. I'll build my church. That's the certainty of divine authority speaking. The God, the creator of the world in human flesh, Jesus Christ said, I'm going to do this. It's divine, the voice of God, divine authority. It's, listen, it's, it's powerful as in Genesis 1, when God says, let there be light. These are the same kind of words from the same God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I will build my church. That's divine certainty. He will do it. Now, I sent out an article to you, and I would say this. We need to build our, we have a, a public Facebook, and we have a private Facebook. And on the private Facebook is where I send a lot of audio devotions, sometimes I inundate you with audio devotions and stuff, but I won't quit and I won't apologize for it because that's what pastors do. We have to speak because that's the gift that God's given us. We have to shepherd. We have to comfort. We have to give direction. And so if you're not on our private Facebook, if you let us know, we want to give you that invitation, get you in there and we want you to be a part of that. But I sent out this article from the Christian Post and I'll just hit the highlights. It's tragic. It cuts me to my heart. I don't understand it. In one level I do because Satan comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I don't fully comprehend it because I know who Jesus is. I know the resources of the almighty God that he's placed within the church. We're not some helpless group of people. We are the people of God. We are the more than conqueror people. We're the people that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So when I read this to you, it just, it just takes my breath away. And I think it says more about the modern day church than it does about the virus. And the article was this. One in five churches facing permanent closure within 18 months due to COVID-19 shutdowns. Now I had someone I love very much 
came to me as soon as we started to get shut down. And I love them, and they're here, and they know I love them, so what I, I'm not picking on them. I'm not going to give their name. They came and said, you know what? This is going to be a way that we're going to, we're, you know, we're shut down right now, but God's going to give us creative ways to worship the Lord, and, and we're going to find these wonderful creative ways. But I can tell you this. As soon as they said that, my pastoral instinct kicked in. Do you know pastor shepherds have an instinct? You understand that? That's why God gives the church shepherds. Sheep are on four legs. Shepherds stand up on two legs. Shepherds can see wolves. They can see things coming. And as soon as this beloved person said that, in my heart, I said, no, this is of the devil. This is, this is not the Lord. This is not the Lord doing this. The Lord's not shutting churches down. And now here we are on the other side, and my pastoral instinct was correct. Here we have one out of five churches that will not make it through COVID. They will shut down. And I started thinking about that. That says more about the state of the church than it does the virus. Do you understand? No virus can stop the church. Do you understand? Caesars couldn't stop the church. Persecution couldn't stop the church. The only thing that can stop the church is when the church stops looking to God by faith and laying their lives down and taking up their cross and saying, I'm going to put God first in my life. Persecution has never stopped the church. In fact, the blood of the martyrs has been the very life of the church. It says more about the state of the modern American church that over the last many decades we have been fed a feel-good, entertaining gospel and look at what it's produced. We were told several de- a couple decades ago, we were told you got to get into the church growth movement. You got to get into this movement. You got to do this new thing. You got to get in that new thing. And pastors by the droves bought into all that. What did it produce? It produced a weak church with no power, with little holiness, with little determination, with little perseverance in it. And now a virus comes through and one out of five churches shuts down. How could a church shut down? How could people let their church die? How in the world could any Christian that has the Holy Spirit on the inside of them allow their church to die? We have prayer. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the unchanging word of God. We have a God that's for us. We have, a God, we have angels around us all right now. The church should never die. It should live. And this church is going to live. And we're going to thrive in Jesus' name. We're going to thrive on this hill. We will thrive on this hill. We will thrive on this hill. We have the Holy Spirit. How could a church die with the Holy Spirit? We have the Word of God. We have the Father's love and care and supply. We have the promises. We have everything that we'll need. What is the church? Ecclesia. Ecclesia. It literally means, if we could just say it in a simple terms, the church is a gathering of called out ones. We're a people called out together. We're called out together to, to this gathering of people. Hear this. Red and yellow, black and white. Precious in his sight. My little grandsons probably tearing up children's church right now. Oh, glory. Half Caucasian, half Hispanic. Those are pure, prettiest brown little boys you ever saw in your life. Come on. Amen. Mama says amen. 
This is a church for all people. Every human. I want to reach everyone. He said, what's your target? You know, and that's, what, that's what's happened with the seeker-sensitive movement, which is not of the Lord. This seeker-sensitive movement that they teach, they talk, we've got to have a target. And they would have a certain target. And it would be a, a certain person this age and have this many kids and this and that. That's not of God. Discrimination is not of God. On any level, whether age, whether color, whether economics, whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely and may it flow freely here. Come on, church. Now I was just going to talk. I'm about to preach here. Oh, hallelujah. Peter said this, one of my favorite verses this week. You, you know how that is, don't you? You get in the word of God and you say, oh, this is the greatest ever. And then next week, God speaks something else to you. Here's what it says. But you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his mar- marvelous light. We are a called out people. Now, when we think about calling, it means several things. One, it means to summon. The authoritative summons. When someone demands that you come into their presence. The gospel, you know, I hear these, these silly preachers, God forgive us preachers, 400 and something thousand preachers in America. Help us. We need a revival among the preachers. And, and, and so I hear these preachers, they're always kind of new, the new fad, fad churches. We're not going to be a fad church. And that's one of the things that the Lord has done in these last four months in my heart, before we break ground, he has clarified to me what this church will be and where I'm going to lead this church. We're not going to be a fad church. This fad and that fad and this fad. And all you're doing, you're worn out with stuff. Just following fads. Do you know the gospel is not a conversation? It's a demand. It's not a con- I hear these preachers say, okay, today in the conversation. And, and in most churches, we've lost authoritative preaching. You don't hear the voice of authority in the preacher's voice. We need to hear and feel the anointing and the summons through the gospel to come and repent and be born again. God, give us preachers again. Come on, give us preachers again who will declare the goodness of Jesus to a broken generation. To call means to summon. And God summons us, come, come, repent, be saved and he calls us and he summons us. Before we're saved, he summons us to salvation, to be born again. But afterwards, the gospel still works in our lives. And he commands us to come together and to worship him. And listen, this, this verse has been so powerful in my spirit. Ephesians 3.10, that we are to now make known the manifest wisdom of God to the principalities in in the heavenly places. The church is to be so full of God that we manifest his life to the world. How are we going to do that at home in front of a computer? How are you going to do that when the body's all dismembered? 
You got a thumb over here and there in their jammies and their bed head and their front of the computer. Listen, you don't get at home what you get here. I can tell you, you don't get in this building, you don't get at home what you get in this building. There's an anointing when we come together. There's power when we come together. The gifts flow when we come together. You can have the worst week in the world. You step in these doors, step in the teams leading in worship, and I want you to know you feel the anointing. When you hear the word of God, you leave different. You leave different than you came. Because you've experienced Jesus. Summons. Call. To call also means to name something. Proper name. Now, there's an identity crisis in America. People don't know who that. We used to know who we were. Today, some folks don't even know who men and women are. But when you call something, you give it its proper name. We are Christians. We are the followers of of Jesus. And I like that. I like the follow. Who are you? I'm a follower of Jesus. It's all right to say Christian, but, but you realize the term Christian was used by the enemies of Jesus and the enemies of the church. It says they first called them Christians at Antioch. It was a derogatory term. Well, thank God I'm a Christian, but I'm a follower of Jesus. He said, follow me. I said, yes, sir. I'm, I'm following. Come on. To call means to summon. To call means to name. To call also gives attribution. It means that it identifies the character of something. In other other words, here's a parallel verse or a verse that will clarify this. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they shall call him. They shall call him Emmanuel, which translated God with us. He's the son of God. James says this, that Abraham was called the friend of God. The The true church will have some of the attributes of God. What do you mean? The scholars call them the communicable attributes. I mean, he's omnipresent, will never be. He's omnipotent, will never be. But you realize when the Holy Spirit is in the church, there's the communicable attributes of God. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, etc. And one of my prayers that's in that bucket, wherever the bucket is, the bucket, you need to fill out your prayer. One of my prayers for this church is Acts eleven twenty three. When Barnabas went to Antioch, it says that he saw the grace of God in the church. There was such, that's the same thing, that's the same thing Ephesians 3.10 says. The manifold wisdom of God being made known. The church, Jesus among the church, manifesting his grace, manifesting his life. Listen, when, when the Lord's in the church, it's so undeniable. It's so undeniable that you don't have to wonder. I wonder if God is in this church. His life and his presence and his Holy Spirit is so undeniable. You know that God is among his people. There's a love there. There's a reverence for God there. When God is there, his, his attribution is there. His life is there. The communicable attributes. His love is in us. His grace is in us. His holiness is in us. To call also means to invite. It says when you invite, when you call, when you someone to a wedding feast. It says in Colossians, he's qualified us to be partakers. He's called us. He's invited us to his work. So here's a definition I wrote of the church. My definition. The church is those who have been authoritatively summoned and graciously invited together by the living God for the purpose of participation in and the manifestation of the unique life and the character of Christ in the world. I like that. That ought to be in Webster, shouldn't it? Come on, amen. Maybe I'll send it in. See, the church is God's eternal plan. 
It says in Ephesians, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us, the church, corporate, before the foundation of the world. It wasn't an afterthought. Before Genesis 1, this verse goes before that. You are God's plan. We are God's plan now. One more thing, and then we'll conclude in prayer, and then we'll go outside. What we'll do, what I want to do is we'll, we'll make sure everything's set up so you want to stand out there. It's very hot out there. Um, so we'll, we'll give you a moment before we get all out there. But there's a certainty in this message. And, and then lastly, just two thoughts. There's a clarity in this message that Jesus gave. There's a certainty. There's an eternal, to, eternal, authoritative certainty. I will do it. I will do it. There will be a church. And let me, do, let me take an aside here. We've all seen churches that were destroyed by sin and division. And you say, wait a second. How does that correspond with Jesus saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? That, that verse is a corporate Overall, overarching verse, meaning that Jesus will have a church. He will have a people. But it does not apply necessarily to every single individual congregation. If you go to Ephesus today, their candle has been removed. Ephesus church doesn't exist anymore. Why? Because as it relates to the individual church, if you and I do not do those things that keep the church alive, this church will be destroyed. But this church is going to be alive. Amen? This church is going to thrive. But there's a clarity in this message. He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. He also said this. Peter said in the confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, what I want to touch on as I conclude is this. The doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ. It is vitally important that we get the doctrine of Christ correct. You say, why is that? Because every false teacher... And every false Christian cult, I call them Christian cult, gets the doctrine of Jesus wrong. They have a flawed view of Jesus. And if you have a flawed view of Jesus, you cannot be saved. Because there's only one Savior. We have to get the doctrine. He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let Let me give you a few, just very quickly, bullet point, some of the false views about Jesus. Do you realize there's some today that do not believe that Jesus really existed? They say the church is built on Jesus, a mythological creature, like one of the Greek gods. And he was not a real person. Now that's false because there's not only in the Bible, outside the Bible, there's historical evidence of a man named Jesus from Nazareth. Josephus talks about it in his works. Another false belief would be that Jesus was a spirit and, and not flesh. This comes from the false teaching of Gnosticism. He just appeared to be real, but he wasn't really real. Jehovah Witnesses teach that Jesus was not eternal, but he literally was the first creation of God. No, he was not. It's also taught that Jesus was identified in Scripture with the angel Michael, the archangel. Some teach that Jesus was a good man, but nothing more. A good religious teacher, but nothing more. Some even taught that he was a prophet among other prophets. But I echo the words of Peter. He's not just a prophet. 
But who is he? I declare to you, Jesus is eternal God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before creation, there was Jesus. There was the Son, eternal. He's eternal. Jesus is one with the Father, John 5, 18. Jesus never sinned. He was sinless. How could someone take our sin away who's been a sinner? No, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He is the sinless Son of God. He is divine. Paul was given these words. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the promised Messiah in the Old Testament. He is the exalted Lord in which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. He is the righteous judge which we will all one day stand before. And Titus says, he is God our Savior. That's who Jesus is and much more and much more. And he gives us the keys of the kingdom. Not a lot of weird teaching about the keys of the kingdom. People going out and doing a bunch of crazy stuff. But basically, the keys of the kingdom are the authoritative declaration of what heaven has determined. In other words, what we bind has already been bound. What we loose has already been loose. What does that mean? Here's what it means, and I, I quote. When the church says an unrepentant person is bound in sin, the church is simply saying what God has already said. When the church acknowledges that a repentant person has been loose from their sin, God agrees. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. This is a promise, a power over our enemy, Satan, and all of his minions. It's the promise over, when it says the gates of hell, that's death itself. Death is an enemy. When, when, when Hezekiah became sick and Isaiah said, get your house in order, you're going to die. You're, get your house in order. The Bible says that he turned his face toward the wall. He cried unto God and God lengthened his life. Do you realize when a repentant sinner repents of their sin and, and says, Jesus, I believe that you died and you were buried and you rose again and I come to you and I confess you as my Lord. He, God extends our life, not a lifetime, but eternal lifetime. He gives us eternal life when we call upon him. And death is conquered. Death will never stop the church. Jesus said that, what is it, to uh, Lazarus? He may die, but he'll live. We're going to live. We're going to live. We're going to live eternally. We are called to be Christ unique called people. We are called to be Christ united worshiping people. We are called to be Christ useful anointed people on this hill reaching a community that needs Jesus so desperately. I will be that person. Will you? Won't we stand and have a prayer before we go outside and, and do this wonderful groundbreaking? Let's lift our hearts to the Lord right now. Would you just worship a moment here? Would you worship with me a moment? We worship you, Lord Jesus. We honor your holy name. We honor your great name. We honor you. We worship you. Lord, we want to be your church. We want this church to be alive. We want this church to thrive. Lord, we realize that we're about to enter into what's something you want to do a long time. We realize many, many souls are going to be saved. 
We realize, Lord, that there's going to be many miracles. We're going to need some financial miracles. Lord, I pray that just like you touched Mary's heart, just like you spoke to Mary and you spoke to her to, to bring the alabaster box and to break it, and that was a year's salary, you moved her to great generosity. Lord, I pray that everyone that's supposed to be a part of this project for your glory, to build a sanctuary of worship, a sanctuary of discipleship and teaching of the word of God. A sanctuary of salvation and healing and love and fellowship. Lord, everyone that's supposed to be a part of this, whether they go to this church or they've never been to this church, Lord, speak to them and let their heart be moved to help us do this project. And Lord, we ask for mighty miracles in every single way. We thank you, Lord. Why don't we lift our hands and just surrender this to him. We surrender this to you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. As our heads are bowed before we leave, if you're, as our heads are bowed, if you've never been saved, or you're, or you're not right with God, and you need to get right with God today. I've seen Christians drift away from the Lord and do horrible things. But as our brother Jason said, just like the prodigal, the father of the prodigal, he's running to us today. If you need prayer today, if you need prayer today, I want you to lift your hands. Pastor, pray for me. I need to get my heart right with God today. God bless you here. I see your hand. God bless you here. I see your hand. Are there others? God bless you. I see your hand. We're going to wait a moment. Are there others? I need to get my heart right with God today. I'm just going to pray. We haven't had an altar call in a while, and we're not going to, God bless you, see your hand. We're not going to, we're kind of gathering here, but we're not going to, we're going to be kicking off altar call soon. I miss altar call, but, but we're just going to pray where you are there. But if you need to get your heart right, we've got several hands have gone up. Listen, you're in a place where Jesus can cleanse you. He loves you, but you've got to acknowledge it. You've got to humble yourself. I'm looking one more time. Pray for me, Pastor. I need to get my heart right with God today. I don't want to leave the way I came. I'm looking one more time. If you haven't raised your hand, raise it up. I need to know who I'm praying for today. I'm looking across this room. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Father, you see these hands that are being raised today. Lord, their hands are being raised because you, the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, you have shown them. In their heart, there's something that you're not pleased with, Father. And that they want to get that out because they don't want anything to be between you and them. Lord, they want to walk with you. And Lord, to raise a hand is a sign of humility, a sign of acknowledgement of need. And Lord, you said you dwell with the humble, Isaiah 57, 15. You dwell with the contrite ones. And so, Lord, we bring our sin to you today. You have to pray this in your own heart. Pray it your own way. But Lord, I bring my sin to you. I bring my disobedience to you. I have fallen short of your glory. I ask you for mercy and grace and forgiveness. I choose to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus today. And I ask you to wash me. And Lord, help me to live for you. I cannot live for you on my own. I don't have the, the fortitude and the, and the human strength to be able to live for you. But Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your strength. As Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And Lord, you're going to give these that raise their hand, not just cleansing, but I believe that you're going to give them the strength to overcome every obstacle and live that victorious life. 
And for this, we're so grateful today. We're so grateful. Now, one more time. Let's all just thank Jesus. Come on, lift your voice up. One more time. Very strong. Come on, lift our voices. Let your voice be the instrument today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah.